Hello everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Alternate Oscars. I am your host, Gabe Warren, and with every episode, I, along with a special guest, will be celebrating and rewarding our favorite films of each year starting in 1928. We'll discuss our brief thoughts on each film we nominate, and comment on the actual Oscar year and some fun details on the ceremony. A few rules we always follow. We will be strictly following the reminder list of eligible releases. Those can be found on the website and the Oscar goes too. The amount of categories will also grow over time as a sort of tie-in to the Academy's evolution over time. With all that said, I would like to welcome our returning guest, James Brown. He joined me on the first official episode on this series, covering the films of 1928. He's a major film fan and a writer for Scribe Magazine. James, it's a pleasure to have you on here. Welcome. It's a pleasure to be back with you, Gabe. Thanks for having me. Mm -hmm. So, how are you doing today? How's your day been? It's been good. Um, I'm in Toronto, Canada, and uh, we uh, kind of just opened up this weekend. It was our first official weekend of being able to do actual things again. Wow. So, yeah, it's been nice. I saw people again. Exciting times. Yeah, yeah. How about you? Doing good. I just recently got back from some political rally for some uh, local woman uh, uh, running for city council. Nice. So, today we are going to be talking about the films of 1936. And I think this is a good place to ask, what were your favorite films from this year that were not eligible? This applies to any film that was released in 1936 that was not on the reminder list of eligible releases for 1936. Yeah, so the big one uh, is Camille, which uh, became eligible the year afterwards. Um, by far Greta Garbo's best performance and just a beautiful adaptation of the book and uh, incredible supporting performances all around from Lionel Barrymore and Robert Taylor and um, I can't remember her name. Her last name's Cruz, Laura Cruz. I think Laura Hope Cruz. Um, yeah, beautiful film, very well done uh, that I wish we could have talked about today, but that's all right. And uh, another major one, kind of borderline, was um, Jean Renoir's A Day in the Country. Well, I was not eligible this year. That was a beautiful, it's more of a featurette than a film, but uh, still a beautiful piece of work. And Jean Renoir is such a, a human filmmaker. And I think A Day in the Country is one of his most human works. And uh, a third uh, that I would have loved to chat about today was Hitchcock's Sabotage. Sylvia Sidney had a great year in 1936. And personally, between Fury and Sabotage, I think Sabotage was her finer work, um, but not eligible for the Academy. So what can you do? Yeah. Um, I think she's great in both of the films she made in 1936. And I would like to mention, I did not see uh, John Renoir's The Lower Depths, but I know that is a notable one simply because it's John Renoir and he's worth checking out for any cinephile worth their salt. Yeah. And then, of course, 
Hitchcock made two films in 1936, uh, that neither of which were eligible for the Academy, um, Secret Agent and Sabotage. Why neither of them were eligible, I don't know, but could have been a releasing issue or thing. Have been because there's some other films from 19, some other British films from 1936 that the Academy uh, had in their eligibility. So I wonder, I wonder what what happened there with uh, Hitchcock and Sabotage and Secret Agent. Maybe some something some issue was releasing in LA as any film trying to be eligible for the Academy is supposed to do. Yeah. So. I guess with all that said, we should start by announcing our nominees, starting with the last category, ending with the first, taking turns as usual. You go first. Cool. Um, special. special effects. I I know the Academy. I think had five nominees for that category. I'm only going with three, and even one of them is a bit borderline. My three nominees for best special effects of 1936 are Modern Times. For reasons, um, San Francisco, and things to come. Modern times. What I really had in mind with modern times was kind of the um, the roller skating scene when he's uh, in the department store and he's looks like he's going to teeter over the edge, but it's just kind of camera trickery and mirrors that kind of made that happen. So I kind of counted that as a special effect, and that really sealed the deal for me on that film. Uh, San Francisco has that spectacular earthquake scene near the end and there's that one moment in particular where like the ground like literally splits in half and like you can see the the one side of it kind of crests upwards with the clark gable on it um yeah the earthquake scene in san francisco considering it was 1936 and everything kind of had to be practical is the best part of the film is when the earthquake hits and then uh, Things to Come is um, is kind of notable for being the first sci-fi film, they say. Um, and, and along with that, you can imagine the kind of special effects that uh, would come with uh, making a science fiction film. And in particular, it's the use of miniatures in Things to Come. That's really just spectacular and kind of harkens back to um, Wings. Uh, there's a great deal of uh, aerial fights and um, spacecrafts and uh, like warfare, like a uh, dogfight warfare. Um, yeah, three three solid special effects use of special effects. Right. So my nominees are. I have five nominees, and they are the Great Ziegfeld. The Invisible Ray, San Francisco, Showboats, and Things to Come. See, even with something like uh, the two musicals I nominated, The Great Z Gold and Showboat, first off, given the sort of year that we're talking about, it's kind of hard to parse how much of it was special effects per se because special effects back in the 1930s were significantly different from what they are even in the 1980s or something. Uh, with the two musicals I nominated, they do require, I imagine they required a lot of work with, 
I don't know if you pronounce it like mates or mats. And then photographic effects, of course, miniatures. And then the Invisible Ray is sort of a horror film in this mix that kind of has the same deal and has to look appropriate for a horror film of its ilk. And then San Francisco, like you said, that incredible earthquake scene. It's just so masterful. And then things to come, like pioneered for so many science fiction films to come. Like all the miniatures in particular, like you said. So yeah, those are my five nominees. Yeah, that's really great. Um, I hadn't thought of considering the Great Sickfield or Showboat, uh, but they totally fit. And you bring up a really interesting point, which is that nowadays, kind of special effects are very much synonymous with CGI. And when we say special effects, what we kind of low-key are saying is CGI. But that's not the case, right? Like, special effects can be anything. They don't have to be computer-generated. They can be practical. Um, and yeah, 1936, especially the Great Sigfields, I'm picturing too, like that big spinning uh, set piece they have. Yeah, yeah, like that's all practical and that's, I don't know, that's a special effect, I say. Yeah. Yeah. So next is best film editing. Best film editing. So I have uh, Godsworth, uh, Fury, Modern Times, Showboat, and things to come. Um, and it kind of just generally for all of them, they're just such sleek, well-moving movies. Um, so that's, when I think of best editing, I think of how, how well does a film move. Um, and I think all of those, those films uh, qualify um, for moving well. <laughs> that kind of a layman's term. Um, yeah, I, I'd rather talk more when I announce my winner about that one. Yeah, but maybe, I, sorry, quickly, that um, I think um, in particular, Things to Come is out of these five nominees is the one that makes the most use out of montage. Um, and, and Showboat too, actually. Um, and to me, the, that's really special is, is how well those two films use montage. Um, yeah yeah modern times the pacing is so well done fury same thing the tension that is sustained through the editing um is very well done and dodsworth too it's it's a different kind of tension it's like emotional melodramatic tension but that same idea yeah that all makes sense um so my nominees are dodsworth fury modern times Mr. Deeds Goes to Town, and Showbo. So we are four for five, I think. Yeah. And like you said, with Dodsworth, it has to build up the sort of melodramatic tension, as well as show varying perspectives on this collapsing relationship. And then Fury, again, has to build up a lot of tension and keep things moving. And Modern Times has to do what any good comedy does, keep it fast-paced, and amplify the effectiveness of the comedy. 
and then Mr. Deeds goes to town again has to work through the different ships in the pacing and make sure it never drags and then Showboat makes really good uses of montages like you said as well as flowing through the intergenerational time span so yeah excellent yeah four to five great minds so next is best costumes best costumes i got anthony adverse sorry backtrack a little bit best costumes kind of a general theme for my best costume nominees and it's sad they're all just period pieces mostly period pieces um it's kind of like the the staple of the academy is nominating and awarding like rich costume dramas in the in the costume category instead of like uh, Mad Max or something where they're kind of more out of the box costume designs. Um, I'm definitely falling in line with the traditional Academy uh, way of thinking where, um, yeah. Um, so Anthony Adverse, um, The Great Zigfield, Romeo and Juliet, Showboat, and uh, my Mad Max of the nominees, Things to Come. Yeah, so uh, I guess with four of your five nominees, they do fit into the sort of prestige, like lavish costume drama. But could you give a bit of insight into your uh, Things to Come nomination? Yeah, so Things to Come, um, really in particular, it's kind of the, the later third of the movie where, they, where we go into the year 2036. Um, and we get kind of the, the real science fiction elements of the film. And there's... Um, like I'm thinking of, I can't remember the character, but he has like these, they have these broad shoulder pads and like very narrow, going like narrow down the torso type of costumes. And they're all very like metallic looking. And um, yeah, and even too, actually, there's kind of that middle section of things to come, which is very, speaking of Mad Max, it's very Mad Max where they're out of gas and they have no petrol um, and things are kind of apocalyptic. And there's uh, Ralph Richardson's playing the boss and he's kind of like dressed up in that fur and um, kind of just like other assemblies of, of fabrics. Um, yeah, very, um, very unique costume design in that film. And then, yeah, the other ones are very, yeah, yeah. Um, so my nominees are The Great Siegfeld, Rembrandt, Showboats, The Story of Louis Pasteur, and A Tale of Two Cities. So they basically all fall under the same boats, like you said, of being these sorts of lavish period pieces that the Academy liked and still likes. Love. Uh, I, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Not great at like telling the distinctions between them all, though I will say that Showboat, uh, again, I'm going to keep repeating it as to, like, follow us through this generational time span of, I think, 40 years. About well, 40 years. Yeah. And the costumes have to do their parts in reflecting that. But, yeah, not much else I have to say. Sounds good. So, next, 
is Best Makeup. Best Makeup, yeah. So it's a kind of a mixed bag with these nominees. Some of them are very um, like performance-based films where like the characters have to be made up um, in the way that an actor on stage would be made up. Um, some are kind of like they uh, have the aging makeup. Um, some are very kind of out of the box type of makeup where the makeup is very um, hand in hand with kind of the artistic and costume design and the makeup kind of bolsters that aesthetic of, um, of the design, of the art design. So my five nominees are The Great Zigfields, My Man Godfrey, uh, Showboat, Swing Time, and Things to Come. Yeah, I don't have too much. <laughs> I'll have lots to yeah. say. Yeah, yeah. I, I get that. It can be hard to describe some of these technical nods, especially if you're not like well inversed into all the specifics that go into any great uh, makeup design. Like, it can be hard to describe these things. Yeah. Unless you're safe, like, an expert on this sort of thing and or an actual makeup artist yeah. and like for example like with showboat and the great thick field like characters age for those films so it's like very easy to like pinpoint oh like you are using aging makeup and that is a good effect and you did it well and like so, my, my too like he's kind of like um i don't know the right word very like dirty at the beginning and the, he kind of has like those two different aesthetic looks of like the homeless uh, uh godfrey and like the well-mannered butler godfrey yeah. So my nominees are The Devil Doll, The Great Ziegfeld, Rembrandt, The Story of Louis Pasteur, and Showboats. Uh, I don't really have a lot to say about the makeup nominees as usual. Like, they are what they are, and they do all the real part <laughs> Like the double pulse, very much the horror film nominee in here, and then Great Ziegfeld. I imagine has a lot of intricacies and subtle things going on, and then Rembrandt has to make um, Charles Lawton look like the titular character, and then the story of Louis Pasteur, a famous actor uh, like Rembrandt, turning into uh, this real life historical figure, and then the showboat, which is the aging. I gotta say, really good call on story of Louis Pasteur. Um, I've seen Louis Pasteur at least two times, and it just, for whatever reason, has never resonated with me and did not did not appear in any of my nominations. But I think if it had, I think story of Louis Pasteur uh, would have made makeup for sure. That's a good choice. I was not story of Louis Pasteur, but I did think the makeup work was good. Yeah. So. I threw it a bone there. Yeah, good choice. So next is best cinematography. Best cinematography. I have a lot to say about winner when I'm when we get there. Uh, so I won't be too uh, descriptive, but um, yeah, I think all five of the films I nominated are um, beautiful. <laughs> uh, they're well photographed. They that's such a silly thing to say. They're well photographed, but they are. They look really good. They're all good looking films. Um, and the, I'll, I'll talk about one because it's not my winner, but um, the, the five are Dogs, uh, 
Fury, Modern Time, Swing Time, and Things to Come. And uh, kind of the one I want to hint at, and maybe it's giving away that it's not my winner, but um, Swing Time in particular has, it's such a double-edged sword. It's a number in blackface, it's the blackface number, but it's the way it's shot with, um, it's the Bojangles of Harlem, and it's um, Fred Astaire dancing with his three shadows. Like that, that was such an incredible moment um, that I had to give it a nomination for that. Um, I understand if some people find it a bit um, hard to digest because he is performing in blackface, but the way that number was shot and photographed and the looking and the use of shadows and the way they like superimposed like the two different films, um, or I don't know how many different films they imposed to be honest, uh, but yeah, that alone gave it the nom for me. Yeah, makes sense. So my nominees are Dodsworth, Desire, Fury, The Great Ziegfeld, and Modern Times. So with Dodsworth, the cinematography might be a bit more subtle than we would expect, yes. but it has a lot of great clever techniques going on up sleeve. Like that opening shot, uh, like giving us a sense of the scope of um, Sam's shutting down automobile company. That is just a stunning use of camera work. Yep. And then Desire looks as well just as you would expect from a Frank Borzage and Nurtzlubich collaboration. And then Fury, Joseph Ruttenberg, like he understands his craft and it's for slang. So yeah. obviously, get a gorgeous-looking movie. There's that one really incredible moment in Fury when they, uh, when the mob lights the fire, and just yes. kind of the way that's all photographed is chef's kiss. Yeah. I was also impressed with like the use of table lamps. Yeah, yeah. And how that looked, and then the great Ziegfeld had five different cinematographers and. That ambition shows on the screen. Yeah. For all the flaws it has, like on a narrative level and being overlong and um, just kind of biting off more than it can chew, it does look gorgeous on a technical level. And the cinematography is stunning. Yeah. And I didn't want to give up the opportunity to nominate five different people. <laughs> Very generous of you. And then there's Modern Times, which not only photographs all the uh, jokes and gags and all the physicality, but just looks gorgeous. Like that final scene. That final scene, yep. <laughs> when they're walking into the sunset. Yeah. yeah. Incredible. So next is Best Art Direction. Best Art Direction, I have, um, yeah, okay. So Best Art Direction, I have Dodsworth, The Great Zigfields, Modern Times, Romeo and Juliet, and Things to Come. And Art Direction is not a, a category I'm an expert in, but when I think of Art Direction, I think of physical aesthetic. 
Um, and, and kind of more specifically, like the physical things that were filmed and how they look. And I think all of those films um, are incredibly um, visionary and um, uh, rich. Um, Doddsworth has so many like uh, great art deco board or not boardrooms like um, what's the word I'm looking for like interior rooms I guess um, hotel rooms and uh, estate rooms on on the cruise ship um, the great Zigfield has all those incredible set pieces we already talked about that spinning set that spinning set piece that kind of takes the cake um, modern times I'm in particular I'm thinking of when he's in the those cogs when he's moving through all like the large cogs um, Romeo and Juliet is just gorgeous um, all around. That was, it's really not a great film, <laughs> Romeo and Juliet. But um, to use um, a really, another layman's term, I'm full of them today. It's so watchable. It's hard to take your eyes off of Romeo and Juliet, even though it's like, meh. Um, it's just forgettable. Oh, was that, sorry? It's forgettable. Like, I don't really remember much of it. Yeah. Like gorgeous, but yeah. not really memorable. Yeah, totally not. And things to come, obviously visionary in the sense that it kind of created sci-fi. Um, so those are my those are my art direction choices. Yeah, so those are all good choices for a lot of reasons. So my nominees are Dodsworth, Great Ziefeld. Modern Times, The Petrified Forest, and Showboats. Mm. So, with Dodsworth, it's contemporary for its time, but it also has to look very exotic when it comes to the locales, like I think they're in Venice at one point. And it all has to look very articulate. And then the Great Ziegfeld is just one messy, wild, overblown spectacle. And yeah, you can see plenty on the screen. And then modern times, all the cogs and the gears grinding in the in the in the industrial plants. And juxtaposed with the more folksy sort of town slash city. And then the petrified forest, I was particularly impressed by how the diner looked and the exterior shots and then showboats um, again 40 year time span and reflecting the south in those 40 years very impressive yeah good call on showboat I haven't seen the Petrified Forest actually, so um, I'll be uh, looking forward to that one. So next is best sound recording. Best sound recording. Again, this is another one I'm not um, like a crazy expert in, but when I think of sound recording, I think of this is another layman's term. I think of sound <laughs> and just kind of like how how in terms specifically the coherence of sound and just kind of do all the elements we're hearing. Uh, unify together to create um, a tone or a mood or some kind of um, emotional landscape. Um, so the the nominees I have, and a lot of them are actually very uh, kind of 
four to five are all very music based. Um, they are the Great Zigfields, San Francisco, Showboat, Swing Time, and Things to Come. Um, obviously, the Great Zigfield, San Francisco, Showboat, and Swing Time are kind of very musically based. So that's kind of where I'm coming from with the sound, just how well, um, yeah, just how well the sound is 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 used to uh, portray uh, those musical elements. Um, and Things to Come has just so much happening sound-wise <laughs> um, with its score, with its airplane sound effects, with its like war sound effects, with later on the sci-fi stuff. Um, very uh, unified piece of work. Yeah, so my nominees are Dodgeworth, The Great Ziegfeld, Mr. Deeds Goes to Town, San Francisco, and Swing Time. So the thing with sound recording, it's basically just sound or sound mixing, as we would call it nowadays. So when it comes to Dodsworth, maybe I'm biased in the sense that it was already nominated by the Academy in this particular category, but I think there are some interesting and important things going on with the sound work there. I'm thinking to just interject it like at the very end there, um, when he's decided, spoiler alert, when he's decided to leave his wife and go see Mary or go be with Mary Astor in Italy, and he's on the ship and all the people are kind of clamoring around them and and Ruth Chatterton is like shouting at him to not go and he's like, I'm just leaving. Just the way that's that's done sound-wise is very powerful. Like all the people clamoring, like, and the clever use of Walter Houston and Ruth Chatterton having to shout over them, yeah. just to hear yeah. each other. That is so clever and it's so well recorded. And then of course the great Ziegfeld and um, Swing Time musicals, recording music, obviously, and then Mr. Deeds Goes to Town has to record a lot of great conversation scenes, and stuff like the fire truck, and then there's San Francisco with its, again, that ending earthquake scene alone. And there's a, there's a lot of music in San Francisco. It's a borderline musical with uh, yeah. Donald singing her heart out for the first hour and a bit. So next is best song. Best song. I really like this category. I have um, I've Got You Under My Skin from Born to Dance, Pennies from Heaven from Pennies from Heaven, uh, San Francisco from San Francisco, Ah, Still Suits Me from Showboat, and The Way You Look Tonight from Swing Time. Um, I've Got You Under My Skin, Cole Porter. It's so beautiful and kind of romantic in a very seductive way. Uh, Pennies from Heaven is just like, a, it's like a, it became a staple. Um, it's upbeat, but also melancholy. Um, incredible song. San Francisco. I mean, it's maybe I nominated that just because they sang it so many times in the movie and they really drilled it into my head. Um, but it's a fun, rousing um, song. And it kind of um, represents that when they sing it at the end, when all the, the San Franciscans are kind of rallying together and it kind of comes to represent that spirit of hope and resilience. So um, in that sense, it's a very powerful song. Uh, 
Ah Still Suits Me is kind of one of the best songs from Showboat, and it was written just for the movie, which is incredible. I wonder what it's like to see the stage show without that number. That's the one that um, Paul Robeson and Hattie McDaniel sing in the kitchen. Um, one of the best numbers of the movie. Um, and The Way You Look Tonight is probably my favorite Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers song. So it's romantic, it's beautiful, it's swooning. Um, five great songs. Yeah, and I basically have the same five nominees. And pretty much all the same reasons. Like, they're all gorgeous, beautiful songs that suit their films in the way they need to. And not much else to say beyond that. <laughs> Sounds good. So next is Best Original Score. Best Original Score. Um, yeah, this one... I, I, I So... Um, I'm a musician by, by trade. That's my practice and that's what I studied and that's what I do for work. So I always find, I have a weird relationship with film scores because I find, um, I don't know how to quite relate those two thoughts, these two thoughts, but I find the, the visual element of film just so dominates my experience of watching a movie. And unless the score is so above and beyond brilliant. I'm thinking Moonlight. I'm thinking, um, I don't know, nothing comes to my head right away. I find film score is a very weird thing for me to consume. Um, I find they don't really sit in my ear. Um, they're never they're never as good as, as um, like uh, classical works or works of musical theater or kind of other more complex forms of music. So that's not to say all film scores are, but but for the most part, they're very serviceable. Um, so anyway, so my five nominees, it was tough to find. They are Anthony Adverse, Fury, Modern Times, Swing Time, and Things to Come. Um, I have a lot to say about my winner. I think what's, uh, with all these nominees, the what the score does well is um, it complements what's happening on screen it, it, it in terms of, of the emotionality of what's happening. Um, so that's that's kind of why I chose these five films or these five scores. Um, I have a lot to say about my winner, but in terms of in terms of the actual like full score, I find musically, um, yeah, it was tough. It was tough to find these five. Yeah, I can see that. So my nominees are Dodsworth, Fury, Modern Times, A Tale of Two Cities, and Things to Come. And I think Modern Times has this major selling point of smile, which I think is even more powerful without the lyrics, just the composition. But beyond that, the score is just beautiful. And then the scores for Dodds, Wars, Fury, A Tale of Two Cities, Things Come. Like you said, they all... Well, they all suit the movies well. They all complement them in the way that they should. Yeah. Yeah, and I don't mean to like bash the scores, but like they never they never moved me or like really inspired me, but they did do a good job at emphasizing what was happening on screen. Um, 
but I didn't walk away like thinking about, oh gosh, I can't get that theory score out of my head. <laughs> but there is one film where I did say, my gosh, I can't get that score out of my head. And that film is my winner. And we'll get there. So next is best adaptation. Best adaptation, yeah. These are all very strong, um, uh, brilliant, intelligent, um, well-structured. Um, yeah, just so they are the five uh, best adaptation. Dodsworth, Mr. Deeds Goes to Town, My Man Godfrey, Showboat, and Things to Come. Um, yeah. I don't have too much to say. They're all they're all excellent. Any one of these five could could win and um it'd be it'd be just fine. Yeah, so uh my nominees are After the Thin Man, Dodsworth, Mr. Deeds Goes to Town, My Man Godfrey, and the Petrified Forest. I think to put it simply, I think they all do what they should to keep their movies going along. Like with My Man Godfrey, you have the clever scavenger hunts, and then the Petrified Forest, more of a chamber piece. And then Mr. Deeds Goes to Town is typical idealistic Frank Capra, but it's really good Frank Capra, and as Robert Riskin writing the script. And then Dodsworth has to show multiple perspectives, and a big part of that is Sidney Howard's screenplay. And then, after the Thin Man has to take the story and characters created by Dash O'Hammett and not make it feel stale, like actually make the second time around worthwhile. So, next is Best Original Story. Excellent. Yeah, so I'll just read mine and then I'll, I'll talk about them. I have more to say about the original ones. Uh, so my five are Fury, Libeled Lady, The Milky Way, Modern Times, and Theodora Goes Wild. Um, four out of five of these are comedies. Um, the one that's not Fury is just uh, so painfully relevant and it feels... Um, uh, yeah, urgent. Uh, it's a brilliant morality play. It's a brilliant love story. It's tense. It's scary. There's. It becomes a courtroom drama. Um, it's a really incredible piece of work. And for its everything, Fritz Lang does. I love. Um, and Fury is no exception. Libeled Lady. Um, it's just a blast. <laughs> There's kind of no other way to describe that film. Um, screwball comedies can be so cookie cutter and can be so um, routine and unsurprising, but Libeled Lady is none of those things. Um, it keeps you on your feet. It it, it stays on its feet. Um, yeah, just a really fun movie. The Milky Way, I think, is one of Harold Lloyd's um, better movies. Um, he's like a milkman who becomes a a, a boxer. Um, and it's just fun and it does a great job with, with its, with its premise. And it's one of those premises that could be really basic and uninvolving, um, but it's, but it's not. Uh, Modern Times obviously is 
is a work of genius and the 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 gags that that uh that Chaplin concocted for this film are are not only brilliant but they so expertly complement kind of the socio-political commentary that's also going on um which is just like a double whammy of of genius it's yeah brilliant slapstick paired with brilliant commentary um theodore goes wild is um yeah we had two really great romances in 1936 theodore goes wild and i'd say mr deeds goes to town is the other um yeah theodore goes wild very charming very romantic on to you definitely so uh i I didn't see the milky way but i did like the one year old boy movie i saw speedy which was 1928 so maybe i'll watch this sometime so my nominees are fury liable lady modern times Swing Time and Theodora Goes Wild. I think with Theodora Goes Wild, it takes a lot of twists and turns, but I think because of the script, it works out better than it should. Yeah, and there's also kind of like this other level of Theodora Goes Wild where it's like very, um, like they're both kind of repressed, right? Is kind of like at the core of it. And just, just the way they work that in is really smart. Yeah, definitely. So, with Swing Time, it's it's your classic Rogers Astaire musical, and it's not easy to go wrong with that formula if the filmmakers really care about what they're doing, and they did here. And then there's Modern Times, which is a classic for many reasons. The script has a lot to do with it. And Libel Lady, like I said, never gets tired. It as consistent momentum and it never really it never gets confusing with the turns it takes in its narrative and then there's fury which chronicles how man can be warped by mob rule and how the town folk can turn into a mob out of a false sense of righteousness So next is Best Supporting Actress. Actress, okay. So my five nominees, um, except for one, are all, we, the 30s, the 30s, 1936 in particular, was a great year for comedies. Most of my nominees are from comedies. Um, so Alice Brady and my man Godfrey, who is just perfect and aloof, and the one, the, yeah. <laughs> Love that performance. Um, Helen Broderick in Swing Time, who I just think has some of the finest um, timing. Like she's so kind of, um, like all of her inflections kind of go downwards and she's very deadpan and um, and sarcastic. And I think that's just a breath of fresh air in Swing Time. Helen Crawford in Showboat, um, who her performance, I guess, so maybe that's one that's also not comedic. So maybe there's two non-comedies, but Helen Crawford in Showboat, um, she gets a lot of the dramatic stuff and, um, uh, specifically that number bill she sings near the end after she's been kind of, um, ostracized from, uh, from society. And she's kind of just trying to find her footing again. And she sings that beautiful, uh, uh, number with the piano. 
uh, Jean Harlow and Liebold Lady, um, bright and energetic and, and also like complex and nuanced. She like starts off as that needy kind of, um, wants nothing more but to be married to Spencer Tracy and then kind of, um, becomes falls in love with William Powell and just the way that transition happens and the way she plays that transition is excellent. Um, and then this, this is kind of a borderline one, Sylvia, Sidney and Fury. She's the top build, but I think that's a true supporting performance. She's gone for large stretches of the movie. She kind of shows up right near the end to deliver some really emotional, some profound emotional moments. Um, and she does a great job at it. And those are my five. I think like going into these acting categories, it'll be interesting to see what are our own personal criteria for what we consider leader supporting or and how much wiggle room we can manage for like how much exceptions we can make for certain things and actors going in certain categories. So with that said, my nominees are Mary Astor for Dodsworth, Louise Reiner for The Great Ziegfeld, Paulette Goddard for Modern Times, Alice Brady for My Man Godfrey, and Bonita Granville for these three. With Bonita Granville, like, she's perfect as the spoiled brat who wants to ruin everything because she has nothing better to do. Like she's so shallow and troubled and just restless. And then there's Alice Brady, like, who's just a hoot as this flighty, just sort of wacky mother. And then there's Paulette Goddard, who is just a perfect counterpoint for um, Charlie Chaplin's character. Even in the face of all this adversity, Paulette Goddard's character is just so full of life and emotion and never fails to think of the next thing to do when faced with hardship. And Goddard is just incredible in everything I've seen her in. And then um, Louise Reiner I think steals the show with every scene she's in. She won Best Actress in the Leading category, even though she's really supporting. But I put her in the correct category, and she's she's really great. I think that telephone scene, in particular near the end, was really great. And then there's Mary Astor for Dodsworth. They actually nominated Maria Ospinskaya, who is barely in the movie and, and delivers a few lines as the stern, disapproving mother to one of the love interests. But Mary Astor has so much more to do as the um, other love interest to Walter Houston's character. She's not just some alternative to Ruth Chatterton. She's a fully fledged character in her own right. Yep, I love that you put Mary Astor and uh, Paulette Goddard and Louise Rayner in there because they were all in my considerations and they were all great performances. 
Um, it was a pretty strong year for Best Supporting Actresses, I'd say. I, I know Maria Uspenskaya seems like such a bizarre nominee, but even that I'm totally okay with. Her, her like one, her one three minute long scene is powerful. Like it resonates. And someone else who I'd throw in there too from uh, The Great Zigfield that I considered Fanny Bryce in the great Zigfield shows up just has a blast for like a scene and a musical number and then she's gone um but she does but she leaves an impression strong category i'd say oh that would have been interesting for someone to be nominated for playing i think fanny bryce is playing herself <laughs> yeah that would have been interesting and like kind of the only time you can give fanny bryce an Oscar nomination yeah Hmm. So next is best supporting actor. Supporting actor. So my uh my five are um Misha Auer for my man Godfrey, Ray Bulger in the Great Zigfields, Raymond Massey in Things to Come, Victor Moore in Swing Time, and Paul Robeson in Showboat. So again, I kind of lean towards the comedy. Uh, Misha Hour, there's that monkey scene, <laughs> and it kind of just cements cements the thing. He's like this very um, astute, formal-looking man, and then he's like jumping on the couch, scratching himself like a monkey, and it's brilliant. Ray Bulger, um, something why I gave him the nomination. He he, I think he shows up for I don't know how long, not long at all, but he has like one musical number, and it's his physicality. I think physicality is such an underrated aspect of performance and like you can see hints of his uh, scarecrow in the wizard of oz in his dance number in the great zigfield like his knees are like rubber and he's doing like a dance that only a performer of his unique talent would be able to pull off um so i give him the nomination uh just for that uh raymond massey and things to come is an interesting one he's kind of like our he's our conduit into the movie's ideology and it's kind of philosophical stance. And I think he does a really good job at not sermonizing or preaching and just really um, embodying um, the movie's kind of main main uh, themes of uh, progress and, and um, yeah, and just like, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Kind of like harmony and um, he does a really great job. Uh, Victor Moore, same thing with uh, Helen Broderick. They're just like the perfect supporting pair and just their comedic timing and their one-liners and their clips just add so much to that movie. Um, and Victor Moore was not really known for his comedy. Um, so I, I find that a, a really, a really great performance. And then Paul Robeson, are there words? <laughs> He's Old Man River. Um, he he turned that into what it is. Uh, that song is canon. That song is musical theater and film canon. Um, he did that, that with his expressive eyes. It's just his voice. Um, yeah, a fine nominee. Yeah. Yeah, I was so impressed with Paul Robeson's performance in that scene in particular so my nominees are James Stewart and After the Thin Man 
Eugene Pallet and My Man Godfrey, Humphrey Bogart and the Petrified Forest, Spencer Tracy and Little Old Lady, or Live Old Lady, and Paul Robeson in the Showboats. I think the thing with Spencer Tracy is I debated whether to put him in here for Live Old Lady, which could be considered a lead performance, or San Francisco, and I do think he's the best part of San Francisco, for which he was actually nominated in leading. Sorry. Even though he's so blatantly supporting. It's like borderline, you're right. It's, it's like he is the supporting character. Yeah. But with Libel Lady, I really like how he does his everyman persona in a really ditzy fashion. And And what's really funny about his performance is how he's so straight-laced even when he doesn't have pants on and he sees boxers and he's in his otherwise in his tuxedo attire. Like, stuff like that make get such a great comedic performance. And then I just described Paul Robeson, but he's great in that movie, Showboat. And then Humphrey Bogart in The Petrified Forest. I feel like people don't remember that he started off playing these supporting characters and particularly villains. And I think this is a prime example of what he was really good at in the early stages of his career. Just these simmering, brooding thug types, almost. And then James Stewart and After the Thin Man. What I really like is that Stewart's persona wasn't yet fully developed like this was before his work with Frank Capra like established him as the all-american everyman and this movie basically subverts an early version of that sort of persona with that final scene not to spoil things but he completely loses his mind and Stuart taps into that torment and darkness so effectively and then was Eugene Pallet and My Man Godfrey. Misha Hours was nominated, but I actually prefer uh, Pallet as a sort of overbearing father to, uh, to Carol Lombard's character. Yeah. That's a good choice. So, yeah. Uh, next up is Best Actress. Best Actress. Um, yeah, again, I think I'm just looking over mine quickly. Four out of five are from comedies for me. Something about comedy in 1936 really resonated. Um, not all romantic comedies, but most of them are romantic comedies. Anyway, they are uh, Gene Arthur and Mr. Duke Goes to Town, Ruth Chatterton and Dodsworth, Irene Dunn and Theodora Goes Wild, Carol Lombard and My Man Godfrey, and Myrna Loy and Liable Lady. So you had kind of mentioned this earlier when we did Supporting Actress. Libeled Lady is one of those movies where it's kind of hard to tell who's lead supporting. Um, I think Libeled Lady is a true ensemble effort. And um, I think the narrative kind of focuses on the romance between William Powell and Myrna Loy. So that's why I go Myrna Loy lead and Jim Harlow supporting. Um, but having said that, um, all four of those performances in Liable Lady could be lead. All four could be supporting. I think they apply anywhere. Uh, Carol Lombard, I'm working my way upwards now. Carol Lombard has um, 
for me, the heart and soul of my man, Godfrey, like the spoiled, petulant child, but she's still grounded and she's still human and she has a conscience. Um, and I think it's just a beautiful performance as well as a hilarious one. Like when she's crying and having those like tantrums, hilarious. Um, Irene Dunn in Theodora Goes Wild. I just love Irene Dunn. <laughs> like she's, she was the best part of Cimarron uh, in my opinion, she made that movie watchable. Um, uh, and she doesn't get enough credit, I don't think, especially nowadays. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we're gonna still keep going, keep going. Uh, Ruth Britton, I think, does a really excellent job in Dodsworth. That's another tough one, like Carol Lombard, where she's playing a really unlikable character who does um, not great things. Um, she's like, super rude to her husband uh cheats on her husband basically um and she but she's but we we understand her right like she's afraid of aging she never really had her youth because she got married so young to dodsworth and ruth chatterton um just like carol lombard just brings that um that groundedness that sense of yes i understand where you're coming from even though i don't uh necessarily recognize you and myself um and then gene arthur Kind of like Irene Dunn, where I just love Jean Arthur, and this role is so great for her. Um, she's bright, she's buoyant, but it's also a complex role, right? Like she's also she's also not a nice person in this movie. She's like totally conning. Um, she's tricking uh, deeds, Longfellow deeds. Um, but we still like her. <laughs> she's she's a horrible person, kind of, but she brings that warmth and that. That buoyance, that buoyancy, buoyantness. Um, just a really, a really great performance. She's, she steals the movie for me, actually. There's a lot to love in Mr. Beats Goes to Town, and she steals it all. Yeah, definitely. Gene Arthur rules. <laughs> Gene Arthur supremacy. We should have a Gene Arthur day. Down. Tell me when. <laughs> so... My nominees are Ruth Chatterton for Dodsworth, Sylvia Sidney for Fury, Jean Harwell for Libold Lady, uh, Libold Lady, Jean Arthur for Mr. Deeds Goes to Town, and, and Carol Lombard for My Man Godfrey. And like you said with Carol Lombard, she was so great at playing these screwball comedy heroines who were so free-spirited and flighty and daffy and just real life of the party. And here, like, her temper tantrums could get annoying real fast, and yet Lombard makes it work. And then with Jean Arthur, again, like you said, she has to make this conniving character who tricks Longfellow Deeds likable, and since she's Jean Arthur, she does that so naturally. Yeah. And then Jean Harlow gets to add a bit of complexity to blonde bombshell of a character. She's not just that. She actually has to um, react to what's going on around her. Yeah. 
and then Sylvia Sydney for Fury. Kind of has to deal with the stress of what is going on with Joe. And basically guides us through the intensity of such of the events going on. And then Ruth Chatterton. Like you said, her character is afraid of aging. And she never uh, properly experienced youth in that sense. Like, she's looking for ways to feel younger. And even though she does a lot of unsympathetic things, it's thanks to Chatterton that you understand where she's coming from. So yeah, those are my five nominees. Irene Dunn barely missed out. I wanted to nominate her, but it was just barely missing out. Yeah, and I cheated a little bit because I put Sydney and um, uh, Harlow in supporting. And I think they, they, they work in either place. And I think in both cases, they are like the top build in their movie. Yeah. It is a shame that Harlow never got a nomination. Hmm. She definitely should have been nominated for Libel and Lady, without doubt. Yeah. It's such a full-of-life performance. And it's strange it only got that one nomination. Yeah, just the best picture. Yeah, not even screenplay. Not which... even screenplay. Super weird. Yeah. So next is Best Actor. Best Actor. I have for Best Actor, and I'm just looking through quickly. Um, um, again, very comedy dominant which is for me great because i feel like we've um we definitely do not put enough emphasis on the skill required for good comedy nowadays i feel like comedy is so overlooked um anyway my five are charlie chaplin in modern times gary cooper and mr deeds goes to town uh melvin douglas sorry melvin douglas in theodora goes wild uh, Walter Houston in Dodsworth and William Powell in My Man Godfrey. Um, Charlie Chaplin, again, the physical comedy he does. Physical comedy is such an under... Physicality is such an underrated part of performance. And uh, he nails it. I'm thinking of um, when he's... One in particular, when he's at the, um, the conveyor belt assembly line and and they bring that machine to save time on um, uh, on production and... He has to work while it's feeding him and doing all these different things to him. And just the way he balances all those chaotic things happening to him. It's like a dance. It's beautiful. Uh, Gary Cooper. Um, Gary, Gary Cooper is a tough one because um, he he could so easily be interpreted as like kind of um, one note or stale. But I think there's a lot of nuance to what he does with Mr. Deeds Goes to Town. He's very bashful and very boy-like, like childlike. Um, and there's an innocence to that. And I think I think that's underappreciated. I think I think his skills are very well used um, to play that kind of uh, naive, innocent uh, Longfellow Deeds. Melvin Douglas is just so charming <laughs> in Theodora Goes Wild. Um, him and Irene Dunn just have insane chemistry together. And there's just such a naturalness 
uh, to their interactions. And Melvin Douglas, more so than Irene Dunn, I'd say, but not to discredit Irene Dunn, they feel modern. Like he, it's such a modern feeling performance. Like it could happen in a in a romantic comedy released this year. Um, and then uh, Walter Houston in Dodsworth is just a towering piece of work. Um, he goes through so much in that movie and he carries it all. He carries it. He carries it. Um, and William Powell and my man Godfrey kind of doing the same thing that Walter Houston's doing, where he's kind of carrying that entire movie on his shoulders. And the movie really depends on him being the straight man um, to everyone else's chaotic comedic um performance and if he wasn't as grounded and as um reactionary as he was um then the whole movie probably would fall apart um william powell gave two brilliant performances in 1936 i'd say libeled lady is equally as deserving as a nomination but uh i give it to my man godfrey yeah definitely so my nominees are walter houston for dodsworth Spencer Tracy for Fury, Charlie Chaplin for Modern Times, Gary Cooper for Mr. Deeds Goes to Town, and William Powell for My Man Godfrey. And three of them being comedic performances, like Charlie Chaplin, like his skills are almost unmatched. The way he has this particular expression and these mannerisms while he's reacting to these things going on, like the slapstick. It is so effective. And so well-timed as well. And then there's Gary Cooper for Mr. Deeds Goes to Town, who I really like when he's playing these sort of socially awkward yet likable straight men to a zanier leading ladies like Jean Arthur. And he definitely has a unique spin on this sort of naive, innocent uh, character in Longfellow Deeds. And then there's William Powell, who was so great at doing deadpan. And, and yeah, he's just great. He's just an amazing chemistry with um, Carol Lombard. Yeah. And he's just a delight. So for Spencer Tracy, uh, I think he does a great job at showing us, again, this innocent man who was us well, well assuming, and well meaning, just going on in his day, but his mind gets twisted as he seemingly gets framed for a crime he didn't commit and then schemes to get revenge on the people who wronged him. And even though I think the ending feels a little tacked on and studio mandated, agreed. I agreed. think he handles that as well as he possibly could. And then with Walter Houston, what I like about his performance is, you can tell he's a good person, but he's not perfect. You can see his enthusiasm in discovering European countries and his disappointment and resentment over his wife's betrayals. And that scene near the end where he declares the love to be over. Yeah, I really love uh, that you included Spencer Tracy. He kind of just barely missed out for me. Um, you're right, he goes 
He does a lot in that movie. He starts off as like kind of the romantic leading man and then becomes kind of this very fearful character, right? He's like, we're, we're watching him experience this trauma. And then he becomes this very angry, vengeful character. Maybe minor spoiler. Um, and he does it all. It's great. Yeah. Good choice. Yeah, he had a great year in 1946. He did. He did. Him and uh, William Powell kind of cleaned up in 1936. A lot of the power players, the MGM top players. And so next is Best Director. Best Director. So my nominees are Charlie Chaplin for Modern Times, Gregory LaCava for My Man Godfrey, Fritz Lang for Fury, James Whale for Showboat, and William Wyler for Dodsworth. Um, Charlie Chaplin, again, just the nuance in the physic in the physical comedy, the the insight in the in the social commentary and the way the movie is very much of a slapstick comedy, but still manages to make you cry and tug at your heartstrings. It's that's not an easy balancing act. A lot of people get it wrong, and Charlie Chaplin does not. Uh, Gregory, Gregory LaCava is kind of my fifth nominee, like my fifth place nominee, and I feel like a lot of people could have taken his spot. Um, for example, uh, James Menzies for uh, Things to Come could have taken that spot. But I think what my what Gregory LaCava does so well in My Man Godfrey is he he um, he balances chaos so well all of those characters could be detestable they could be irritating but they're not he he keeps them totally in line he keeps all of their uh hijinks totally in check um just a really fantastic uh screwball direction um fritz lang for fury um fritz lang fritz lang fritz lang it's fritz lang <laughs> he's he uh i don't know i don't know how to put it into words it, there's a lot that happens in that movie it's it, and it could be heavy it's not um it's it's um it's scary when it needs to be it's tense when it needs to be it's romantic when it needs to be it's rousing when it needs to be um it's the pacing is perfect um it's a great great piece of work james whale for showboat i just love james whale Frankenstein and the Bride of Frankenstein are my favorite universal horror uh, monster movies. Um, James Whale, what he does with Showboat, the material is incredible. The the way he um, kind of conceives each musical number and the way he stages each musical number, uh, the way he frames his characters within within the, within the shot, the depth he adds. Um, I'm thinking of like. Um, just all the different reaction shots, like when someone's singing and he'll just cut to different reactions from different side characters. It's, it feels like a modern musical. And, and I don't think James Whale gets enough credit for, for his, his artistry. Um, so he gets a nomination. And William Wyler for Dodsworth. I think Dodsworth is maybe one of William Wyler's finest works, maybe up there with the heiress. It's beautiful. Kind of the same thing with James Whale. The way he frames his subjects within the shot 
Like there's, I'm thinking of one scene, I, I can't think of what's happening, but like there's someone in the background, someone in the midground, someone in the foreground, and they're making this like beautiful diagonal line across the screen. Um, and, and they're lit so fantastically. Like there's a shadow on one half of the screen and it kind of just gets warm throughout the, as you pan uh, left ways. Um, incredible work. Definitely. So, my nominees are William Wyler for Dodsworth, Fritz Lang for Fury, Charlie Chaplin for Modern Times, Frank Capra for Mr. Deeds Goes to Town, and Gregory LaCava for My Man Godfrey. Um, like you said, was William Wyler and Gregory LaCava, their work could be easily taken for granted, and yet it manages to stand out. Like with William Wyler, he has a shoot between two di different perspectives, and also make you want to escape into Venice along with the characters. And with Fritz Lang, like, he brings his German Expressionism into this crime tale. And it feels like his vision alongside Norman Krasnas, aside from that botched ending. And then <laughs> Charlie It's a pretty botched ending, you're right. Yeah. Yeah. And then with Charlie Chaplin, he has, like you said, he has to balance the comedy with a real sentiment, being able to make you cry, and a sense of universality and populism that's really hard to achieve without coming off as tacky, but mm -hmm. he yells at balance. And then Frank Capra from Mr. Deeds Goes to Town. It's a perfect feel-good, raising the spirits of the people movie that he was so good at doing. And again, it's not always an easy task to do. Frank Capra proved that with in 1941 with Gary Cooper, his uh, was me John Doe, which was basically an inferior knockoff of Mr. D's Goes to Town. <laughs> and then Gregory Lacava, he has to make chaos out of honestly some limited settings. Like, there aren't a lot of locations for St. Mike Godfrey. It could easily feel like stagey, but it doesn't, because Lakava raises the chaos out of it, and actually manages to make that palatable as well. And he puts emphasis on all the laughs, and now all these characters are out of control, but you love watching them, and a large part of that is due to Lakava's direction. So next is. Outstanding production. Outstanding production. So my five, sorry, my 10 nominees, because there was 10 nominees in 1936, are all films that have come up in our discussion. Um, Dodsworth, Fury, Libeled Lady, Modern Times, Mr. Deeds Goes to Town, My Man Godfrey, Showboat, Swing Time, 
Theodora Goes Wild and Things to Come. And I think I've talked enough about those movies in some way throughout, so I won't elaborate on, on, on each of them. But they're all great films and you should watch them all. Yeah. So my nominees are After the Sin Man, Dodgeworth, Fury, Live Old Lady, Modern Times, Mr. Deeds Goes to Town, My Man Godfrey, The Petrified Forest, Showboat, and Swing Time. Uh, I guess I won't go too in-depth into these since I've already described a lot of them. With Swing Time, it's essential Rogers Astaire, and then Showboat, it's just a great musical from this era that actually stands out and differentiates itself from other musicals from this era, like, as in, say, something you'd see from MGM or RKO Radio. And then The Petrified Force is a great character chamber piece. And then My Man Godfrey, a quintessential screwball comedy that influenced so many other screwball comedies. Mr. Deeds Goes to Town, one of Frank Capra's best. And then Modern Times, an influential classic for so many reasons. Live Old Lady, like a gem in the screwball comedy genre. Fury, a great American debut for Fritz Lang. And then Dodsworth, a great melodrama showing the decline of a marriage. You can see how this influenced films like Marriage Story. Mm-hmm. And then After the Thin Man is a great sequel. So yeah, those were my nominees. I love what you said about Live Old Lady in particular. It's a gem. We don't talk about Live Old Lady enough, and it stands up with like the other screwball comedies from the 30s that we do talk about a lot, like Mr. Deeds Goes to Town, or It Happened One Night, or even like You Can't Take It With You. I'd say it's a better movie than You Can't Take It With You. Um, Live Old Lady is a gem indeed. Yeah, so now it's time to announce our winners. Going back to special effects and ending with picture. Okay, so best special effects, things to come. It's gotta be things to come. Those miniatures, the, the way, the, the, I don't know how they did it, how they got those spacecrafts flying and yeah, just things to come. My winner is San Francisco which is what the Academy would have chosen if they had a special effects category, undoubtedly. Most definitely, yeah. So, yeah, that last earthquake scene is impressive enough for me to vote for it. Next is best film editing. Showboat. For me, it's Showboat. The way um, the musical numbers are edited to show like different reaction shots, to show um, different, like I'm thinking of Old Man River when they show him like in the jail cell and kind of all the people working and just incredible use of editing to uh, heighten emotions, to uh, advance the story, to create musical excitement. Go boat. Yeah, so my winner is Mr. D's Goes to Town. I think it's the most impressive just in terms of what straightforward solid work can do 
to keep a movie working at the pace it's going. And Gene Affleck was good at that. He worked on a lot of the classics of the 30s and early 40s, stuff like His Girl Friday and uh, Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. And it happened one night. So next is best costumes. Yeah, so for me, it's Romeo and Juliet. Um, kind of my favorite thing about the movie actually was just looking at the costumes and just like the embroidery on all the different gowns and suits and jackets and, and kind of the embellishments and decorations that each one had. And I'm thinking of, of the masquerade scene where everyone has a mask um, and just how distinct they all look and um, just the, the different fabrics that are used and that just the way the light shines on all the different fabrics, especially with Norma Shearer's costumes. Um, definitely not a great movie, but a well-produced one. And they put a lot of... Yeah, definitely. So my winner was The Great Ziegfeld. I felt like that's the most obvious choice I could make in terms of Great costumes, beautiful costumes, as the meme goes. So yeah, it's as simple as that. There you go. Next you is go. best makeup. Best makeup, safe to come. For the sole reason that there's so many different, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like story um, contexts. Like it starts off like pre-war, we get the war, we get the post-apocalypse war there's like a whole pandemic that happens um and then there's like the whole futuristic 2036 aspect and each one the characters themselves are just perfectly embody the era that they're in and i think that's largely due to the makeup so i say things to come definitely so my winner was showboats for the simple fact of them aging 40 years. So, yeah. Next is best cinematography. Best cinematography, I say Doddsworth. It's gorgeous. The use of lighting. I mean, it's all mostly interiors, but it's it's above and beyond special. It's beautiful. Um, and I think that kind of speaks to how good the cinemat cinematography is, that it's just like these basic interior sets most for the most part. Um, and they're stunning. They are stunning. Um, Dodsworth. So my winner is also Dodsworth. Like I said, it manages to make great use of its interior shots. And it all feels natural and just, it looks great. It's a great looking movie. Mate was an underrated cinematographer and this is one of his best works. Yeah. And William Wattler certainly knew how to produce great cinematography in his movies. Yeah. So next is Best Art Direction. Excellent. So Best Art Direction, for more or less the same reasons, I awarded it Best Makeup is things to come just there's so many different periods in that movie and and they all are unified and coherent and uh, visionary um 
especially the futuristic aspect uh, at the end of the film. Uh, things to come. So my winner is Dodsworth for all the great locales that it shows off. And just looking very sophisticated for a simple character study and showing the characters affluence without feeling like wealth porn the, uh, the affluence actually plays into the characters arcs and I like that So next is best sound recording. Best sound recording. Um, is, I gave it to this film mostly to just be kind. <laughs> like it just seemed like the right thing to do to spread the wealth. I give it to San Francisco. Um, I think it does a really good job. Um, it has kind of like a dual uh, purpose where it, it, the first hour and whatever, it's very musical oriented. And Jeanette McDonald is just singing opera and there's that beautiful um yeah like operatic uh soundscape that we get and then there's that disaster so i think it does a really good job at kind of capturing two different um soundscapes more or less and uh so i gave it to san francisco and it's not a terrible movie it's not it's i think it deserves some love so that's where i decided to to give it uh i didn't really like san francisco to be honest like I like that final act, but yeah. I found Clark Gable, who is usually charming, to be rather unlikable. Like, I didn't like his performance. I felt like both he and Jeanette McDonald had shown considerable charisma in the past, and they felt sapped a bit in this movie. And then it just felt like there was nothing of substance going on until that final sequence. Like, the melodrama felt wrote. And she's kind of there. So, my winner is San Francisco. For all the complaints I have about San Francisco, the sound recording is not one of them. And I just pointed out the final scene of the earthquake sequence. And the sound is so good there that I had to give it that. The buildings falling and the ground coming apart. Yes, the buildings falling. So yeah. So next is best song. Best best song. Best song has got to be the sweeping, romantic, tender, beautiful. The Way You Look Tonight from Swing Time. And I have the same thing as the winner. The same song. It's just Essential Rogers and Astaire song. It's perfect. So next is Best Original Score. Best Original Score, kind of as I said earlier, none of these scores really grabbed me. They never drew me in musically, like just as a piece of music. They never really grabbed me, except for Modern Times. 
with its romantic theme, which became the song Smile. Um, I think, yeah, it's probably maybe one of the best scores ever in modern times. Definitely. So, same. My winner is also modern times. Like, like I said, it's one of the best scores ever written for film, in my opinion. So, next is best adaptation. Adaptation. It's it's masterful every scene has its place every moment has a purpose it's got to be Dodsworth it's it's melodramatic it's intelligent there's a lot of social commentary in there in there there's about class like it manages to balance class commentary with like life commentary fear of aging and and missing out on key parts of your life and celebrating key parts of your life um, so much happens in that film on in so many different levels, and it's the best adaptation of 1936. Yeah, so my winner is Mr. Deeds Goes to Town. For me, it was the most satisfying on a pure narrative level. And in terms of delivering the film on a fully satisfying experience, just in terms of what I nominated. So next is best original story. Best original story for me, it's got to be. Um, there was some good ones this year, but for me, it's the one that um, still feels relevant today, and that's Fury. Um, you could almost imagine it happening with like um, like a blackmail lead happening like in the Spencer Tracy role and it would almost like, and it's what we're witnessing today. Um, Fury. Yeah, what you brought up with how this, how you could insert a black man into this and you would almost be reminded of what's going on right now that, that it's disturbing, but it feels so true. Yeah. And yeah. And when you mentioned that, I was just thinking, Sidney Poitier could have played this role in, say, the 1950s or the 1960s. So, yeah, my winner is also Fury. I can forgive the uh, the sort of studio-mandated ending because the rest of the film is so effective at portraying this message. And I was just so gripped and nerve-wracked throughout. And you and go ahead. I was just gonna say. I was um, just gonna say. Feel the sense of injustice of what is of what is done to Spencer Tracy in that movie, and you kind of want him to get his revenge a little bit. Like, like as terrible as that is to say, like you you kind of want to see those twenty two people punished. Um, and I, I wonder what the film would have been like if it had gone that direction. It would have been very interesting to see. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, so next up is Best Supporting Actress. 
Best Supporting Actress. It was one of my favorite Best Supporting Actress performances of all time. And it's Alice Brady in My Man Godfrey. And I feel like it's the performance that's so good that the Academy had to give her that consolation prize the next year for In Old Chicago. Um, she's flighty. She's ditzy. She's hysterical. She's over the top. Um, but she's human and she's grounded and she's funny. Uh, it's an incredible piece of work. Great. My winner is Paulette Goddard for Modern Times. I feel like she steals the whole movie. Like, she is so contemporary for her time, Paulette Goddard. And this is such a great showcase for her, especially in a silent film. Or she has to use her stunning beauty and great expressions and it's just a marvelous performance counterbalancing Chaplin and I wish Goddard had gotten more than just one Oscar nomination in her career especially she should have gotten it from Oscar Yeah, definitely. Best Supporting Actor now? Oh, um, yeah. So next is Best Supporting Actor. For me, it's another slam dunk. There was no other choice in my mind other than Paul Robeson in Showboat. Um, that Old Man River number alone seals the deal. He also has that second number with Hattie McDaniel, uh, Ah, Still Suits Me. Um, the depth of his voice, his vocal technique, like his, the, people just don't sing like that. That's not an accident. He, a rare performer is gifted with, with those skills, a person who studies and trains and practices and he did it and he pulled that off. Um, the way he like had his face expresses, um, that, that song in particular, uh, Old Man River, there's that one scene kind of shortly after Old Man River where, um, the um, Helen Broderick character, her racial identity is discovered and he's kind of watching this all unfold and just like the expression in his eyes. It's just like his eyes. He's just eye acting. Um, I think Paul Robeson is the best part of Showboat and his, his performance endures to this day. Definitely agree. And... Now that I think of it, I think he's my winner too. Like, he has so much soul in his voice. Like, you feel like what he's been through. Yeah. Like, you can feel the sense of the years he has gone through and all the struggles. Injustice. Just with that number. And everything else in this performance is just brilliant. So next is Best Actress. Best Actress. I would like to interject that if Camille had been eligible this year, Greta Garbo would have been my winner. Um, but it was not Oscar eligible. So my winner from my nominees is none other than Gene Arthur and Mr. Deeds Goes to Town. 
she is nuanced, she is brilliant, she is captivating. Um, and yeah, as we kind of discussed when we did our nominee breakdown, she's it's it's a it's a tricky character she's playing. She's not, she's she's kind of the villain <laughs> in a way. Um, but she makes us like her, she endears us to her. Um, we understand why Longfellow Deeds falls for her. Um it's probably my favorite performance of hers. Yeah, it's definitely up there for me. And she's also my winner. Like, aside from just being Jean Arthur and just being wonderful, like, she has to make us root for this almost unsympathetic character which he does so well. So next is Best Actor. Best Actor, for me, it's it's one of those performances, it's not showy. There's not, I don't think there's ever like a big acting moment where we go, oh my gosh, this person is acting. Um, it's Walter Houston in Dodsworth. It's It's one of those performances where the second he's on screen, he just is that character through his tone, through um, the way he paces his speech. Um, he just is Dodsworth. And, he's, and he goes through a lot in that movie, but he never, and he does, he does change. His character changes. He starts off as this new retiree. He's excited for this new part of his life. And then a lot of dramatic things happen to him there's a lot of hardships he experiences and he becomes a different person by the end of the movie but the the essence of the character itself never wavers he's consistent he's he's true to who Dodsworth is and I think that's that's the sign of a true masterful performance is when you can can go through all those shifts uh, those emotional shifts in character without ever losing who the character is or without ever having to oversell uh, the performance. I think it's brilliant, nuanced, grounded work that he does. Yeah, he was definitely worthy, but my winner was Willie Powell. Like, I just love what he did so much. Like, he was so good at doing the sort of deadpan, cynical, yet smooth type of comedy. Like, you can definitely see, like, the sort of influences had on, say, Bill Murray and anyone else doing sort of comedy. And it's just so funny because he is so committed to that sort of just the deadpanning. And it's hilarious the whole time. So next is Best Director. Best Director, it's a no-brainer. I feel like I don't even have to elaborate on it. It's Charlie Chaplin for Modern Times. And same, <laughs> Charlie Chaplin for Modern Times is also my winner. And... I'm not sure I need to go particularly into it because it speaks for itself at this point. Yeah. There's so much he does in that movie, just like with how we mentioned earlier, the roller skating trickery where it looks like he's going to fall through the hole in the department store. But it's, yeah, it's 
that's all so next is outstanding production and the best picture natural segue for me is modern times it's it's um kind of agreed upon to be the the final silent film it's the end of the silent film era we got with modern times even though sound had already been around for almost a decade by that point and and silent films were all but dead but i think what's so brilliant about modern times in particular is that final shot and how he's walking into the sunset with paulette goddard and i it it, it harkens back to the circus which was also nominated at the first academy award ceremony and um at the end of the circus he walks away on his own into the sunset after he selflessly gives up the girl he loves to be with the boy she's actually interested in and then at the end of modern times he walks away with paulette goddard and it's like this beautiful send-off to the whole silent era as they walk off together into the sunset and it's like he finally got the love of his life we know this character is going to be well and and beyond that it's it's just a brilliant piece of work before that ending it's it's a perfect movie at the perfect time. Modern times, yeah. And I have the same winner, or a lot of the same reasons. It's a perfect swan song to the silent era. Like, when you get that and you feel like it is the perfect send-off to an era. And they're walking off to the sunset to embark on a new journey. It almost feels like a metaphor for Charlie Chaplin going into a new stage in his career. And there's just this sense of poeticism that feels so perfect. And it just works. It's perfect. It's a classic for a reason. It's a masterpiece. So it's yes, a modern. A masterpiece. So yeah, we got through the winners. And so now it's time to share the trivia from this year. How do you feel about the first ever supporting winners? Like in the, the actual supporting winners. What's so like what's so funny about it is that literally come and get it and Anthony Adverse barely appear in my well come and get it get zero nominations from me. Anthony Adverse barely gets two. Um Gail Sondergaard and Walter Brennan do not appear even close to to my nominations list um i i get why they went with walter brennan because he's doing the accent it's kind of a a fun performance um he is kind of the most interesting part of that movie i'd say um so i get it it's very on brand for the academy to do that type of showy to honor that showy performance the gil sondergaard win is totally confusing to me it's such a a nothing performance like it's that whole movie in general doesn't really resonate very strongly um two very 
poor performances to kick off that category, I'd say. Oh, yeah. Um, Gail Sonnegaard's performance. I I, I really didn't know what she was doing or what she was trying to accomplish. Like, a bunch of different mannerisms and just teeth sparing and just vamping and just weirdly off-putting. And then Walter Brennan's Barely does anything in the movie. <laughs> it's so weird that you will sing a lot. Yeah. So. Some of the unmentionables from the book I'm reading on the Internet Archive. Uh, I think this has already been said and done, but the MGM version of Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet had 36-year-old Norma Shearer and 44-year-old Leslie Howard as the ill-fated teenagers. It's super awkward to watch, so it's cracked. Yeah. <laughs> and then there were a suspiciously high number of nominees who happened to be on the nominating committee. Among them were Carol Lombard and Frank Capra. Following ugly accusations, uh, the nominating duties were returned to general membership Good. Yeah. That was shady, like on the raft, but investing with the voting, like. And then there were rumors of a secret pact between Louis B. Mayer and Jack Warner. Uh, Mayer would strongly advise his employees to vote for Paul Muni if Warner would do likewise on behalf of the great Zeke Feld. Interesting. Yeah, what's so um strange, I guess it's not strange, it's very on brand for the Academy, but I think between the two of us, not a single one of the winners from that year in Best Picture or in the acting categories, none of those appeared in our nominees. Um, so something fishy was, was going on. I think Louise Rayner is the only winner who popped up in your supporting category. Um, so good thing they reformed their nomination process after that. Yeah. And then... So... Do we want to talk about the actual Best Picture winner this year, the Greg Ziegfeld, and why we think it why we think it won and just its overall importance in this year yeah i mean it's it's well produced right like you can i when you watch it it's totally understandable why audiences in the 1930s would have gone for it and movie going was a totally different thing back then right like for us to sit through that movie is is not a wonderful experience necessarily but for someone in the 1930s especially like if you're in the american midwest or like not near like a major city to see that spectacle that would have been the only time you could see something like that would be going to the cinema and seeing the great zinkfield so i get it i get it yeah definitely like, The Great Siegfeld was very much an achievement. Like, there had never been something this 
big on the screen before. Like, like everything happening was almost unprecedented for its time. Yeah. Just a sheer ambition. And you can see why this was such a big hit and so popular. And apparently it was even divisive for its time despite being generally well received. Like I'm looking at this review from Frank Nugent. Mm-hmm. If the picture overcrowds its uh, screen, at least we must admit it is an impressive kaleidoscope and probably nothing short of uh, that could reflect the gaudy career of America's foremost showman. The picture has the general indifference the humor, which was one of Ziegfeld's characteristics. Which I think is an, an interesting take. Yeah. yeah. So, I asked this question on uh, film Twitter in a poll, but if Spencer Tracy had gone supporting for San Francisco, do you think he would have won? I don't know. That's a good question. Um, I mean, Walter Brennan, I think, was already pretty big by that point. So I think the Academy was probably very excited to give an award to Walter Brennan, who was very prolific. Whereas Spencer Tracy, it was kind of his first rodeo by 1936. He wasn't really established. But I think 1936, Spencer Tracy, is what is what made him get those two consecutive wins later on. I think he really established himself um, that year. So I don't know if he would have won. I don't know. That's a really interesting thought. I don't know if he would have won. I think I think his wins the following years were more inevitable based on what a strong year he had in 1936. Yeah, definitely. It it could go either way, I think. So we just have this one question from the audience questions from Owen Daly. With my man Godfrey being the first film to score a nomination in each of the ring each of the um acting categories, why do you think none of the actors managed to win? It's one of just three to lose all cat all three cat all four categories. Personally, I would be inclined to say that it's as simple as the Academy is just kind of biased against comedy. Uh, there are so many great comedic films in the ni- in, ni- in 1936. Mr. Deeds Goes to Town, Liable Lady, um, Theodora Goes Wild, um, My Man Godfrey. And yeah, none of those won big awards. Mr. Deeds Goes to Town got director, I believe. Um, I, I my first inclination is to say that the Academy is just biased against comedy and it kind of always has been. Um, some exceptions, of course. Um, but none of the films that, that it lost to were comedies. They're all dramas, right? Like Louis Pasteur, Great Ziegfeld, Come and Get It, Anthony Adverse. All of, every single loss of My Man Godfrey was to a more dramatic film. Definitely. 
like there's definitely a bias against comedy in the academy even to this day okay. and that sort of explains my man Godfrey not getting a best picture nomination somehow yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> that is weird which is strange got acting nominations the director nomination that for screenplay nomination like I mean we get it more nowadays with stuff like Cold War and another round but and box catcher but it just feels weird yeah yeah especially in the last 10 So, any final thoughts on this year? Yeah, my final thoughts is kind of that the Academy did not do a good job at capturing <laughs> what was great in film from 1936. I think we did a better job. I would agree. Like, 1936 was a really good year, but it's not really reflected in what was rewarded from this year. And I think the appeal of these alternate Oscars lists is going back and just rectifying that. Mm-hmm. A sense of justice. Yes. Good. So, James, thank you for being on this podcast again and joining me today. It was a really fun time to be talking with you about this year. Anytime. I'm happy to chat with you. This was a lot of fun. Thank you, Gabe. Yeah. You're welcome. Thank you. So how do we find you on social media? You can find me on Twitter, uh, classic movie gay at JB likes movies. Um, Scribe magazine. You can find me there. Um, or you can find me on Instagram at James Brown likes movies. Awesome. As for me, you can find me on Twitter at GabeTheJoker with two underscores. You can find me on Instagram at GabeGuarn with a single underscore. You can find me on Letterboxd at Mr. Hulo. You can find the Alternate Oscars page on Twitter at Alternate Oscars. I'm also a contributor for Keith Loves Movies, so be sure to read my reviews on that site, as well as the reviews of my colleagues. Be sure to rate and review this podcast for visibility's sake, and subscribe to wherever you typically listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening. Until the next episode, sit back, relax, cheers, enjoy, and again, thank you for listening to the alternate Oscars. (laughs) 